Welcome to this episode of Right Stuff, presented and produced by me, Chris Fitzgerald, through the Headstuff Podcast Network. Before we really get into today's episode, here's an ad from those at 40 Minute Feuds, which is a really good podcast, for, also from the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello everyone, my name is Dave Riley, and I'm the host of 40 Minute Feuds, a podcast looking at our favourite scraps, spats and squabbles from the world of pop culture. Every episode is a 40-minute exploration of a feud of my guests choosing. My guests range from comedians, musicians, wrestlers, writers. So please check out 40-Minute Feuds on the Headstuff Podcast Network. This episode features an interview and a reading with Danny Denton. In The Early King and The Kid in Yellow, Danny has written a novel that really fits into the archive of Irish fictional writing, but it also stands out, I think, as something unique in its imaginative context of an alternative Ireland with a plot that exposed through various storytelling devices and characters that are likeable and really familiar. Danny talks to me here about um, lots of things about writing, really. Uh, We start off when we're talking about rejection and his persistence and the persistence that's necessary to be a writer, the fun and the hard work of writing, and he gives some great insights into the life of a really dedicated writer that, though I think not a newcomer, as we discuss, uh, you get the feeling that he's just really begun. So here's Danny Denton. Enjoy and rate, review, subscribe and all that too, please. Thanks a million for meeting me. Thanks a million for being with us and write stuff. Um, Thanks for so having me on. You're, you've been traveling a lot, first of all, and yeah. traveling recently for a holiday, but you've also been toing and froing with promoting the book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a very, uh, thankfully, a very busy year of uh different events readings festivals moderation moderating things um but kind of saved up one three-week period for a holiday in japan uh just literally more or less off the plane in dublin um it's an amazing place as i expected it would be um but yeah the book stuff's been really it's been really good it's been really busy it's kind of winding down now which is also nice because i've been been away from home uh, a good bit just on like little weekends and things like that um but it's been brilliant. Like I had the chance to go to Sydney. I've been over to England a few times. But you've been uh, nominated for an award. Was that was probably th- during your holiday? Did you know about this? <laughs> yes, I I knew about it before the holiday. And I was quite glad oh, to be you? away when the yeah. thing when when it was announced. To be honest, because then you don't have to kind of deal with it too much in, in a social media sense. Newcomer of the year in the Unpost uh, Book Awards. Is that right? Yeah, that's. But that's, you're not a newcomer. Do you? That's how, right. how does that sit with you? I mean, you've been. I've been reading your stories uh, for years, and. It sits, uh, it sits fine with me. I, awards are a very fickle, funny thing. Obviously, I would love to be an award-winning writer, um, but it's a lottery. I don't think of it as a measure of success. Um, it's it's a lottery that some writers like. It's it's crazy that f- five people get nominated for a newcomer of the year, and there's so many good books being published this year. Um, so like, yeah, and uh, like, there's a novel of the year. Uh, category five books get nominated when I don't know how many hundreds of books were published this year in Ireland so I don't I didn't feel any great jubilation to be honest um, I'm very happy to have readers and this might mean more readers and that's really good for the book and I'm really happy that good things happen to the book so I'm very grateful and very happy but I don't set if you set your store by awards you'll be you'll be disappointed your mm-hmm. whole career as a writer so or well w- one in a million won't be but so I'm happy about it I feel like a newcomer um in terms of it's the first novel that's been published I, I have been around for ages trying to do this um but uh yeah I do feel like a newcomer in that sense um 
but it's it's amazing it's really interesting how um you kind of it's like you step you, you step through almost like a looking glass does scenario where i'm 12 years trying writing stories and trying to get published and in in one event i'm suddenly offering guidance to say i, I would visit a few student classes now and then uh, and i'm trying to offer guidance and it's like i'm not that more advanced than I, I'm, I'm hanging around with a 27 uh, year old guy who's a better writer than me uh, and he's not made it yet and I, it's just it's not like so what do you put it down to Danny then like we haven't mentioned the book yet is the early king and the kid in yellow and so I put it down to persistence persistence and and luck but the type of luck that comes from working really really hard at something for a really long time um, there are very few there are they do exist but there are very few examples of people who just write a story and it just gets published and then they just write a novel and that just gets published most people have the re- the rejection back catalog um the years months year or years of misery could have two manuscripts in in the drawer three um so like yeah i i think the persistence that you the persistence that you um attribute to something a career in writing um, will lead to luck um, and the more people you meet and the more rejections you have the more lo- close you are to that bit of luck that you need but I don't think I'm suddenly separated from or better than any other writers who haven't yet published their books in the same way that I, I wrote an unpublished novel I wrote a novel that was that mm. never found it uh, that never found a publisher I think that I still think that was good enough to be published I'm kind of glad it wasn't published now because I'm a, a different better writer but that was a publishable book you know, and I never made it. So there must be millions of people like that as well. But it's persistence that's born out of an aspiration to be a successful writer. And that's obviously something that you have had. And yeah, I, I've heard you talk about that book be- that you wrote before that got rejected a lot. Mm. And that kind of rejection, does that build up your persistence? Or, I mean, to a lot of people, that would knock people down. Yeah, and it does knock you down. It's It's like... A, it's a, it's a, it's almost maybe like a typhoon or something. It's a cyclical uh, thing. So you go through phases of thinking um, your efforts are wasted, uh, publication is futile. It's futile. It's a futile quest. And then you go through days of thinking, no, no, no. I have something like uh, kind of tongue in cheek saying like they just don't get it. They just don't get me, right? I've had a lot. I've had that thought lots of times after rejections. They just didn't get it. And probably actually they were right. Um, not to publish certain things at different times but you go through cycles of self-doubt self-confidence self-doubt is much more dominant but I just find that you always feel better by sitting down and actually writing because it's not like I I don't want to measure it's a kind of um, it's a liberty for me to take and it's a bit unfair of me to say but like it's persistence to the idea not to success and I can say that because I've had a little bit of success this year right um, but it's, if you if you persist with the idea, like th- th- probably the, my my one of the defining days for me as a writer was when I kind of I got dropped by uh, my first agent after the first novel first novel didn't sell, um, and kind of like vaguely dropped, like you know like I got ghosted by her basically in in modern part postmodern parlance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got ghosted, and uh, I kind of accepted it one day. I said, right, that's it. That no one's gonna. And I tried myself for a while sending it out to to small independent publishers. I said, that's it. No one's gonna buy this book. It's gone. It's dead. And the next day, I was trying to. I was still writing. I was writing something else. And I was like, I'm just, I'll just drive on with this new thing. And uh, 
that was persistence to the idea of writing as a as a as a mode as a method as a way mm. um rather than persistence with to, to be successful somehow or to make money somehow so that was probably like a defining day for me i was like oh i'm still doing it that must that means i am actually a writer because i would have before that only considered myself a writer when i was being published mm. or I, I would say i was a failed writer until i was published but actually no 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 I do it anyway, so I'm a writer. And then persistence, the idea of writing is... So your definition then, to give yourself the label of being a writer, I mean, that's to to a lot of people, that's alone something to aspire to. But by your definition, you're saying if it's something that you happen to do on a daily basis or have some kind of routine of doing, then that makes you a writer? That makes you absolutely, 100%. The persistence, um, the persistence to continue to write sentences regardless of the success of those sentences in a commercial sense that makes you a writer and obviously you want to get paid for your work and artists deserve to get paid for their work but um, sadly it doesn't happen that often Um, and when it does happen you're not paid probably as well as you could be most writers aren't paid as well as they should be Um, but I do think yeah you're you're a writer if you're writing Mm -hmm. it's the act not the commercial um, acceptance but then what you're writing as well, um, you, I've read some of your short stories like in The Stinging Fly and in other um, places, but you, can you talk a little bit about the difference in those? Because I read an article by Kathleen McMahon there recently where she said it's almost the opposite process, writing a short story as opposed to a novel, like you just approach it in a very different way. Did you always know that The Early King and The Kid in Yellow was going to be a novel? Were there ever like parts of it that were segments, first of all? Because... In reading it, there are parts that could be separated from each other and maybe mm-hmm. even be standalone, um, that's standalone really, pieces. That's really interesting. In one sense, I agree with. Did you say it was Kathleen McMahon. Yeah. In one sense, I agree with her. It's very different, but I don't agree that the difference is in. Um, I don't agree that the difference is a theoretical difference, actually, because I. Well, I've, the difference seems to me to be in in the uh, the method that you use. Um, in terms of a novel does take more t- like if you're sprinting there are particular muscles that you use and you need to gear those muscles towards an intense burst um and there, there's lots of there's warm-ups and warm-downs there's all sorts of things around it but it's an intense burst um and every second counts if you're running a marathon it's not quite like that it's about it's about making sure you're geared towards the lo- the, the intense the longer term um, stamina that, that's required and I do find that that's probably a difference in, in method so when I was writing The Early King and the Kid in Yellow there was a lot there was a much bigger notebook of ideas and there were sections so I would have an I, would, I kind of use an A4 sums notebook and uh, there'd be like a page dedicated to the kid in yellow and his character and what might happen and what his likes and dislikes and all that kind of stuff there's a page for each character there's a page called things that should happen or things that could happen there's a page about setting where I kind of constantly fill in like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go here so I need to paint this place and so on and so forth there's a research page there's a tones page and I used to kind of skim through the pages to remind myself what I was doing before I would sit down to write there's a short story that's probably much less for me there's much less um, of that planning the same type of thing I'm a big fan of spider diagrams so there's lots of spider diagrams but they're on a much they take up much less paper and the the draft of the story is probably done quite quickly close together for me again um, like in less than a month or something like that and then it could then it could take 
years for the story to get finished but it's you sit down in these intense bursts um, but in terms of like knowing something or, or having a completely different approach because now I'm going to sit down to write a short story for me it doesn't work like that for me um, there's an idea and the idea is this uh, it's like I guess the plata- platonic ideal or whatever it's this it's this gorgeous perfect thing that I can't quite I can make out the shape of sort of or I can see a way into it's like a chink and I can kind of see it and my job as the writer is to try and get that down and get as close to the idea as I can on paper and then onto a computer then into pages hopefully Um, and I'm never I wouldn't say I'm ever sure at the outset that what length that's going to take and I don't think my style changes based on the length I think the intensity of something certainly changes and the the time you have to do it Um, but yeah I'm never really sure the first novel for sure started as a short story because I was then trying to write a collection of short stories Uh, this novel The Early King and the Kid in Yellow uh, I always it always seemed like it would take more than say 10,000 words to tell it um, I did try and use kind of the short story form for a little bit in building the world. Like I wrote a short story, and it was a short story, I felt, um, about a policeman who actually appears in the book. And I wrote, um, and those are, there's, this, there's a kind of a, the, the kid in yellow's uh, best pal's name is Clem mm. in this book. And uh, I wrote a short story about Clem but Clem in a, in a real like this is kind of set in an alternative Ireland I wrote a story about Clem in real Ireland I was just trying to get to know Clem and a short story came out of it it's never been published which suggests that it's probably not a very good short story that it probably is um, kind of uh, rough work rather than mm. a short story I haven't read it in a long time actually so I'm, I should check but this yeah. all sounds like hard work <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard it's hard it's a hard job there are many many hard jobs on this earth and this is just one of them it is certainly not the hardest it's certainly not the easiest there's a lot to that process um yeah there's a lot to the process um the 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 funnest part which suddenly becomes the most painful part is trying to get the idea trying to get your uh, your head around the idea because that's like anything is possible at that early stage where you're still kind of i don't do much planning i don't think but i kind of trying to be inspired and trying to get your ideas down it's so thrilling but you quickly realize that you can never you can never do the idea 100% justice and the best books I think get the closest mm-hmm. kind of percentage completion of the that perfect idea that the writer must have had one day whether yeah. it's a the idea could be a theme it could be a message it could just be an image it could just be a feeling like you know David Lynch's all of David Lynch's work it's very hard to talk about it it's very hard to um, critically uh, evaluate it but you get this feeling from it and it's I, I think he's probably so close like he's probably like 99% mm-hmm. completion that's why he's so good kind yeah, of, you know. yeah and but, but when reading The Early King and The Kid in Yellow it seems like I mean it flows so well in a prose to read there are passages of it that you know have rhythm and rhyme and it seems like that would have come out of you in a flow kind of state as well did you have that as well? I mean, was yeah. the, if, we, if we break it down into the actual, those passages, those paragraphs um, that flow so well, and we might, you might read one in a minute, but um, yeah. is there, I mean, did, that, did it come out in bursts like that as well? Were there any easy parts that you wrote, like hundreds oh, of words and just... I, ha- like, I had lots of fun at mm. different stages, and a lot of 
a lot of the fun came from two sources. One was building the world and, and, and getting to imagine a, a slightly alternative Ireland. It's not that futuristic, really, um, but um, it's certainly alternative. And that was fun because you can make anything happen in your world. Um, but the, the playing with the language and how language might have evolved and how people might talk, um, that was a lot of fun. And yeah, there were certainly flow was important to him and thanks for saying it and it's, it's great that it, that it does come across sometimes in reading um, that was really important to me it came I think it probably came with a lot of hard work like it wasn't there at the start if I was if, if I were to look back at the you know the first page of a handwritten draft of the early King, King and the Kid in Yellow I think probably the flow wouldn't be there but writing rewriting you do build it and once you've kind of it's, it's, it's almost like um uh, when you used to have to tune the radio, say like when we were younger, it was like Atlantic 252 or whatever, and you'd have to tune the radio and you'd take you ages to get it perfect. But the, every time you did it, mm. you got better at getting it perfect. It took, you got to a point where you just, it was a subtle touch and you had it. And the kind of the harder, you work really hard mm. and harder flow. And then there's a certain time, like at the very, just before this novel was published, I had a notion about a, a different play scene. And I wanted to put it in. And I was, a, I, I, looking back, I was able to write at the level of everything else. It first draft was just, I just nailed the flow. I was really happy with it. I just nailed the flow. Um, and that was really weird because usually I have to write eight drafts of something. Mm-hmm. But I just felt that it, maybe I'd gotten at that point to the exact pitch of the novel. I was so immersed in it having done however many edits, like eight different drafts or whatever, that I was just able to hit that pitch for... It's only about a five-page scene, but like just to hit that pitch and have it done, and that was mm. it, you know. So it's hard work to make it seem easy. <laughs> it's hard work to make it seem easy. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Know, like absolutely. Because it comes across, and I've read this about in our from interviews with other writers. Like, it's th- it's the writing that seems like it has just come out in a flow from the writer that, you know, as a reader, that input to us as well. It's just like it seems seamless, but. There's an untold amount of hardship probably that yeah, has gone into that. It, it Is there any time. passage, Danny, that you would mi- wouldn't mind reading that you think that you might have nailed the flow? So this is a bit in which O'Casey, who's a reporter, um, thinks he, he knows something of the kid in yellow story. Um, and he is the kind of, he's the, he's the person in the novel, O'Casey is the person in the novel that gathers or garners people's stories of during this this strange time in our Irish history so this uh, at this point we we meet him in the pub uh, he's got a bit of a drink problem we meet him in the pub um thinking about the kid but also you know kind of getting lost in the in the mood of the pub later as he drank in another place in the company of a group of sailors hairy, slimy, wet apparitions, yelling at each other to heave away, singing, falling forwards onto him at the table where he had decided to rest his head on crossed forearms, where he heard above him glass clinking and bawling and stamping and clapping, like some kind of demented jazz in the kaleidoscope of the light. Later he thought of the kid, a fist of yellow, a blur in the rain world. That city outside was a kind of theme park of faded illusions a creaking thing. And the boy out there might not be an illusion or an overheard ghost, but a real thing with love in his heart. Was this tea, the girl or the child that had been born? The drunken vision loomed, the yellow skins of that boy, 
skinny face, cowlicked forehead, freckles spread across cheeks, blue eyes distracted, wide like the rare sparrows. This boy would die at the hands of the king for what he had done, no doubt, would be the youngest on O'Casey's ledger. Up in the flats they'd find him, spraying messages to tea perhaps, and they'd haul him away. He would join all the other ghosts of that city. And O'Casey would find out about it, somehow, and he would make the trip to the flats to question the relatives in those moments. After he closed the door behind him and placed his hat upon his head and pulled the trench coat around him, afterwards, after those moments, he would think that really none of it mattered a single bit, that these were all just passing beads of water lost in rain, and that a whole life could be reduced to a moment's downpour, noticed by no one, and reduced entirely then, disappeared into nothing in one maddening view of the sea, that which drowned all words, and he'd need a drink then, and yet here he was, still, drinking, and the sailors all roaring around him. The kind of language that you're using throughout the book there is a kind of vernacular, but it's, it's, it's Irish, but modified to the kind of dystopian era, maybe. Um, and even words in there, like you use Mary's. Uh, yeah, to me, that's a Cork yeah. thing, is it? Mary's is a Cork thing. Yeah. So, so that, like, as I kind of mentioned earlier, it was loads mm. of fun to build the world because you get to build the language along with the world. Mm. Like, um, and I, one of the joys of it was being able to take some of my favourite slang from mm. everybody. So Mary's is a Cork one. Yurt features a Yurt. lot. Yeah. I love is that Limerick? We claim it's Limerick. Oh, that's Limerick. <laughs> that's Limerick through and through. Um, but it was a real joy to be able... Because I, I, if I wrote a Cork novel, I couldn't really have someone say Yurt, right? Yeah. Um, so, well, do, do you ever was there any trepidation about putting in that kind of language that you think you, maybe people who aren't familiar with it might not get what's going on? I mean, actually, those are mm. generally in the novel. There seem to be words that even if you don't get them, it doesn't inhibit your understanding of things that much. So, I think like readers are really, really, really clever people. All of them, all of them are really clever people, and when they start reading a book, they just buy into it. Generally, they just buy into it, and they will let the book teach them how to read the book. Uh, and that's one of my favourite things about reading books, is figuring out how the book itself, what the language of the book is, and just kind of getting into it. Um, a really good piece of advice that I got um, before, as I was starting to think about writing this was uh, to write the book that you would like to read, right? Uh, and second, in a kind of a secondary sense, also to do the book justice, right? Write the, let the book tell its own story. And so, I was happy to do that with the language, and there was a risk I was willing to take. Like one of the things, one of the riskier things I took, and it was um, having lived in Catalonia and kind of hearing a lot of um, both Catalan and Castellano, um, and trying to learn a bit of of both. Um, I notice that they often take out their pronouns. So they won't say, you are, um, you seem happy today. They'll say, seem happy today. Um, because it's obvious, if, if it's obvious who they're talking to, they'll do that. And so I said, well, maybe I'll do that in English. Maybe Spanish will have, uh, have kind of influenced English at this point in my alternative Ireland. And so that seemed like a big risk because I just cut out all the pronouns. And well, in the you know, in, a, in an early draft, I cut out loads of pronouns, and then it just became the norm for me writing. And I almost started talking like I almost started removing pronouns from my speech. But um, I think that like, no, it's not for all readers, obviously. But I think that certain readers love a little challenge. And like my 
all-time favorite book on on at 50 percent of the time is Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban and that book is written in a completely obscure version of English and you have to learn it takes 50 60 pages to learn how to read it but the reward is massive and it's so thrilling to read something and it's like eavesdropping in a kind of a language you half understand it's so much more interesting to pick up words and then figure out what the subject might be so I kind of wanted to do that albeit in a much more um much more easily digested uh, form here. And in the passage that you just read, uh, the weather comes up in that, and the weather is a constant feature of the book as well, and in some of your stories. Um, and it seems like, after reading it, I was thinking, why don't more writers like describe the weather? <laughs> it seems so obvious, but it's, it sets a tone, it sets an atmosphere, and like the rain constantly pouring down in the novel is something that it, it really affects the mood of it as well. Uh, was that something that you had from the start that you were thinking of keeping in yeah or, yeah yeah absolutely so that there, there I've kind of got two answers and one of the, the first answer is kind of I've been, I've been beating this answer up for ages but um, I love rain and I really wanted to write something set in a rainy place um, but on a wider note like it's funny because I'm, I'm here in Limerick to, to talk a little bit about Frankenstein later and to take part in the readathon and I was asked to pick a passage to read. And I went straight for the great weather passages in Frankenstein. Because, and I'm, I'm wondering now, like in kind of a chicken and egg style, were they always, was Mary Shelley's work on nature always in my head when I was writing something? It wasn't, it certainly wasn't, I don't remember ever making up saying I should think about writing Frankenstein, like the, in, in, the, in the mode of Frankenstein's attention to weather. But it's certainly, um, it's certainly a massive thing for me. And I suppose here's one of the things that we don't, probably often like to remember we're animals right we're animals in an ecosystem and the, m the ecosystem is massively influential on us and one of the last vestiges of that in, in, a, in an ecosystem we've now kind of it's almost entirely man-made is weather right weather is still the one thing we can't really control um, and so and, it, and it's still the one thing that massively affects our moods our ability to our ability to do do certain things, our mobility, um, and and just yeah, like they like everyone knows that lovely feeling after rain when the sun comes out and everything smells kind of intense, um, and th th everything seems clean somehow, and that influences everybody. So I just think if you're building a world, weather is one of the mm. most uh, one of the coolest parts of it. So. And something that's very Irish as well, and like absolutely, you say yeah, just yeah. after coming from a country that has such like Japan is gets affected by so many horrible weather situations, and it's like you know they've got volcanoes, earthquakes, typhoons, tsunamis, the whole gamut. And we complain so much about the weather here. You know? <laughs> yeah. We kind of love to complain about it. That was yeah. one of the really interesting things. Like in my limited. Um, kind of conversations with with Japanese locals, they don't they're not that bothered about the weather, mm. um, and even when like say lots of stuff, lots of things we wanted to do in terms of trekking about and things were roads were closed because of typhoons. And they said, oh, that's closed because of the typhoon. There's no no bitterness about it, and there's an acceptance that, um, and I, I often wonder is that why they're probably you know they seem more mature than us as a people. Maybe they're around longer. I'm not sure. Um, in terms of the ancestry of peoples and tribes and things but they just seem that bit more mature maybe it's because they they generally they don't have weather you can bitch about we have weather you can bitch about most of the time um, they have they have weather that uh, you will not you don't bitch about <laughs> no, no. Um, so just finally Danny thanks a million for your time but um, 
you experiment a lot with narrative in this novel, and I think in your next one you're experimenting with voice a lot. Is that right? Yeah. Um, how are you, where are you with that? Is there much you can say about it? Or? Um, I'm going to say less about it than I used to because I've kind of got myself, I've tied myself in a knot. Okay. Um, okay. But I can say that it's about, it's a novel about um, radio. It's, it's, it uses a lot of radio, and in, in that way it's kind of polyphonic in terms of you hear lots of voices from the radio. And it's trying to what I've been trying to do myself is trying to form trying to do the idea justice of there, there seems to be two great kind of juxtapositions at the moment in our man-madeness so in the man-madeness of our environments we are retreating further and further from traditional place where people sit around a fire sit around a village etc etc into like the dominant images of our time now are our infrastructure airports motorways, hard shoulders. Um, Marc Auger, the French philosopher, calls it non-place. Um, and trying to reconcile that with um, the glorious soup of accents and complaints and interesting contributions and not so interesting contributions to talk radio, local talk radio. Um, we have 96 FM in Cork for example and it's weird because I, I hated listening to these kind of morning talk shows like Joe Duffy would be the national version right I hated listening to these when I was younger but when I when I lived abroad and I don't know if you if you pined for accents when you were abroad for home accents I pined for accents and this is where I found them all these voices complaining about you know a cove accent complaining about the sewage on the cove road a guy ringing up to talk about Shakespeare and uh, just I became addicted to it and I, I, the addiction ended as soon as we got home and I could hear the accents at source but uh, I wanted to try and write something that reconciled those two ideas the absolute locality maybe maybe these local voices on the radio might be one of the la- it might be one of the last places it's more of a kind of a virtual place I guess but it might be one of the last places where you really hear locality and then people are just getting lost out in this void of apartment blocks hard shoulders motorways airports traffic islands and whatnot. So to re- try and write something to reconcile those ideas, um, I thought I'd nearly finished it, but I've kind of, it's not right. The level of the writing is good enough, I think, but it's not, it, the message is still a bit confused. It's not, there's, I don't have a clear idea yet exactly how I can finish it, but I hope to. <laughs> but I think, I mean, even with The Early King and Kid in Yellow, I think I'll be reading that a second time. You know, I think, I think <laughs> there were you. things that, like it, it's a pleasure to read, but also I think there were things I missed, um, and that's okay, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Like if you're thinking so much about, um, like you're saying with this next novel, are are those the things that you're thinking about? Those are they plot points? Or are they like they're not really together? they're not really I mean, plot points, but it's just maybe a sense of maybe a, a character mm-hmm. being at odds with kind of the general theme mm. and, that, and, and that can be a good thing in certain ways sometimes characters can rise above things and, and make sense of them yeah. or something it's not really working at the moment so it's just it's just kind of the ingredients aren't exactly right yet it's a bit too it's not salty enough or it's a bit too salty or something you know <laughs> right. at the moment and I, I I do like that's the one of the joys of writing is I'll sit down and I'll have five bad days and two good days trying to figure it out and I, I will get there the, the, I'm really glad that the bulk of it is done like the the words are all written I just need to decide how to change certain aspects of it um, but yeah on, in terms of reading like I'd be a firm believer that the reader of the book is the person who finishes the book and readers change your lives change our lives mm-hmm. change we are different people so 
I reread Frankenstein in advance of this week. Um, I think it's the third time I've read it, but I hadn't read it in 10 years, I would say, probably. Not in its entirety. I'd read little sections maybe here and there. But uh, I'm a different person now, and I picked out totally different things this time around, you know. So absolutely, you can go back and uh, at, at the same book many times, and it'll be many different books for you, I, I believe. Yeah. Thanks a million, Danny. No I'm problem. really looking forward to the next novel. Thank Thanks you for having me. Cheers. Appreciate it. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.